Welcome to the Intern Whisperer Live, the show all about the future of work. Today's guest is John McCarthy and Tiago Souza, who is also with Fit Me In now. Um, welcome, John and Tiago. How are you guys? Morning. Morning. I'm doing fine. Thank you. So what's really interesting is that Tiago is in Brazil. So you guys are working <laughs> and remotely. How awesome is that? Yeah. Yes, yes, that, that, that's working. I, I like to work like remotely. It's, we can do that. Super good. So our show is about education, innovation in business, and the future of industries and jobs. So we're going to start with what is your educational background? I'm going to go to John first and then to you, Tiago. So John, tell us about your background. Well, I have a bachelor's degree from State University of New York at Binghamton. And I have a doctor of chiropractic from Palmer College in Iowa. I've heard of Palmer. Yes. Yeah, so. it's a well-known school. Well yeah. Known. yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. So you chose chiropractic for what reason? Well, and I was rear-ended on my motorcycle and I had left sciatic pain. So I went to the um, hospital after the accident. And for two weeks, they treated me with muscle relaxers and physical therapy. And I knew enough to be dangerous as a pre-med student. Uh -huh. So I was, I can remember asking the orthopedic surgeon, you know, different questions about studies that I should have, maybe a CAT scan and uh, it was pre-MRI. MRI came out in 1986 and this was in 1981. So that wasn't an option, but there were myelograms and other things. And I can remember him rolling his eyes, you know, like, be quiet, I have this. Uh, I'm the ex <laughs> professional and you're not. So just do as I say. So uh, a friend of mine visited me in the hospital and his dad was a chiropractor. Short story, uh, I went to him. I felt significantly better after the first treatment. And then I started looking at his lifestyle and his practice and thought, oh, I could do this. And so I continued my care and uh, he went to Palmer in Iowa. And so I, I took his advice and went to school there. And that was, I graduated in 1986 and here I am. So it's been a been a good ride. So Tiago, what about you? You have a really interesting uh, story, also, just like John. What's your story? So uh, I started my my graduation um, at a university in two thousand, but my major was law, and back then, like most of my friends, they were pursuing um, majors in law, and they wanted to become lawyers, judges, and so on. And then I followed that path. Uh, I like doing it, like it was really interesting. It was a good profession, but since I graduated, um, like in 2004, I started learning more about coding and I had to make a big decision for me. And here in Brazil is very different from how things work there. I know lawyers make a lot of money there, but it's the opposite here. You don't make a lot of money, you make little money and it takes like forever. Like for you to win a case here, it takes like 15 years. And I had said, well, will I be willing to wait for 15 years to start receiving payments from my customers? <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> so I said, oh, what else could I do? And like back then, 2004, uh, like the internet was booming. And I said, oh, I like computers. I like to code. I had some interest in that field. So I started learning by myself. 
I didn't go to a school for learning how to code. Back then, I, right now you have YouTube. You can watch everything on YouTube, like full oh, yeah. courses on YouTube. Uh, back then there was no YouTube and, or it was not even from Google. YouTube was not from Google back then. And it was very hard for you to watch uh, live streams. And so I started reading manuals. <laughs> I started looking at tutorials, written tutorials and manuals online. And then I started doing it and I started getting one customer, then another, and then another. And then I started developing myself in that field. That's great. That is great. Okay. And I think that's the, the best thing about this is the marriage between being a lawyer and the internet. That should ensure that there's, you know, all of the things that you have to think about, privacy and cookies and, you know, G GDPR, right? I have that right? Yeah. Yes. So all of those things, he's an expert at that and he's bringing that expertise in right. to that, you know, role that he's which right. is great. Right. And, and if, you, if you think about it, like the logic behind law, it's kind of like the same logic yes. behind coding. You have to create a path so you can defend your case and you have to have the facts and the law, and then you have to have a match. It's like a function inside a computer. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's very so analytical. Different. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, I totally get it. I think that um, law and Programming are two really good uh, marriages of a career path, as well as like finance, people that are in finance, because that's about that's sales and, and projections. So that is a good um, marriage between a dual, I guess, a dual major for sure. So tell us about Fit Me In. Um, what is the product? What is the service? And right. how did you guys meet? So Fit Me In now is... Uh a marketplace where we aggregate and match consumers with small businesses. And so it started as something that I needed as a sole practitioner. So I was thinking about how I could leverage a, a marketing tool for my practice that would be sustainable. And so that grew because I just soon discovered that there are many other people that needed the same tool. And it starts with the con consumer. The consumers it, uh, do not show up for their appointments at a rate of about 25% of the time. That's shocking. So out of four, uh, do, just don't show. There are other categories that we use, like reschedule is when somebody calls the office and they reschedule the appointment. And then there's a cancellation, which is another category where somebody calls the office and they say, I can't make it, I'm going to cancel. But a no show is they don't show up and they don't call. So you're lost, that, that's lost time. And when you figure that one out of four dollars is lost, it's um, very appealing to small businesses who operate on appointments to use Fit Me In Now calendaring uh, because it, it monetizes their downtime, their yeah. lost time. I like the fact that you shared that it's a, a pain point that you experienced within your own business as a chiropractor. I am very sure that it happens. I know that a couple weeks ago, I was supposed to be going to the dentist. I was 10 minutes late. I called them and said, okay, I'm going to be 10 minutes late. They said, well, we're going to have to reschedule you because we can't... Um, we can't do it right now. We don't have enough time to flip the room and all right. of this. So they rescheduled me for like two weeks later, but I found it, um, you know, frustrating because right. I, I think the dental industry, quite frankly, is one that's already prepared because they already were wearing 
you know, masks and face coverings and doing everything that is like PPE compliant. But nonetheless, I found it just very, very interesting that that was um, something like what you just described. You know, it's right. like lost revenue for them. It is lost revenue. And so it's uh, very appealing to small businesses because they're monetizing their lost time. And for the consumer, for you, you were frustrated because of your time and lack mm -hmm. of convenience. So if you were able to uh, notify the provider or find another provider mm -hmm. quickly on your mobile phone, then your, your time would, would be yeah. more efficient. Yeah, yeah. And so the consumer wants transparency of costs. They want to know how much a hair and nail appointment costs, how much a barbershop costs, how much a massage costs. They want transparency of cost, and they also want convenience. And so it's not convenient for you to be canceled and then have to reschedule your dental appointment in that one small case. But that happens millions of times a week. Oh, my God. Yeah. I bet it happens even for attorneys, um, I would think. So attorneys would benefit from this, right, Tiago? Yeah, I think like anyone who needs a calendar, like has an appointment, once you schedule an appointment, they would benefit from FitMain now, yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm going to let Robin, who's also up here on the screen with us, jump into, yes. uh, she's going to field some questions for us all too. So Robin, what is it that you want to know about? Yeah. So how did you two end up um, being in a partnership with each other um, with Fit Me In Now? So you want to go, John? Yeah. Uh, so Thiago and I belong to a group called Y Combinator, which is a Silicon Valley um, accelerator. Uh, accelerator. And so I know that Isabella graduated from that yeah. program. So uh, they're a very vibrant incubator or accelerator. And uh, Thiago and I were on a um, on a uh, internet call. And uh, we just hit it off. We were just like, just like this conversation is flowing, where the conversation just flowed. So yes. why, why were you at YC? Uh, me? Yeah, were you uh, looking to connect with other businesses or? Um, so we were, like I was working, I had my business here in Brazil and I was joining to see if I could leverage something from the program that they were offering. And then I met, we had like a group session. We had like every week, we have like a, a group session with four people from four different business. And I was working back then at uh, integrating business. Um, so if you had one business that needed an integration with another one in terms of software, I was trying to create something to connect both business and John. And then I, I heard John's story and I said, oh, I know many people who try to do what John is trying to do. And I have seen them failing over and over. And the reason they were failing is because they were not integrating calendar and other to a software. Uh, and they were just trying to create another software separated from what the customers were using, the business were using. And then I said, look, now I think it would be great to join uh, the project with John because I think I can bring to him the piece that is missing and I can make his project work. And then we start talking about it and said, yeah, that's exactly what we need. And then I start, we start working together and start flowing, like he said. Mm. I had not thought about 
I'm going to YC to look for another team member to be on my team. So I find that really smart that it happened that way, honestly. There was a, when I was in YC, I was in a, a, a group. I was in charge of my own. They had, let me just take a spec, step back. YC had offered a million dollar grant um, and they were going to go and give 10 companies. Was it a million? Yeah, I think no. It was 100,000. And they were going to give 10 companies um, $10,000 each. That was what it was. Um, so they were splitting it up. People had to apply. Everybody was competing. I got in and then because they had so much response, um, there was a YC person, uh, a mentor, somebody that could help facilitate a, a group of people because we were all put into, if you will, like a cohort. And then as that happened, um, they didn't have enough mentors. So I ended up being the person in oh. charge of my cohort group. And I got to know all of those companies we were connecting on LinkedIn. And there is actually one company, they got funding. Um, they weren't funded through YC, but they did get funding. And they were changing how people go to school, like um, K, through, K through 12, honestly, so that it was more of in the cloud virtual. And they have just taken off like crazy during COVID. Right. So, you know, those are the things that you can look for also is how can you collaborate with other companies, not just even pick up a team member. That's awesome. Right. Right. Yeah. Super good. I liked YC and I see, um, Tiago, that you have this entrepreneur spirit. So that's excellent. Also, you're a smart attorney and programmer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That is super, super good. So, um, you know, what is it like to work across uh, remotely and how has COVID actually impacted what uh, you guys are doing? Like, I'm really interested in the Brazilian side of the story. Is it okay if we let him go first? Of course. Thank you. So there's a lot of talent here in Brazil and it's a cheap talent. Um, like one top dev here, like a reasonably good dev here can cost like half of the minimum wage of a U.S. salary. Um, so are you so saying it, like an $80,000 person would be 40 over there? No, it would cost like $1,000. One person that would cost five, $6,000 there a month would cost $1,000 here. Oh, I was thinking so, annual salary. So, wow, that's like $12,000. So instead of, it would cost like something like 12K a year. Wow. And that's like what level of programming? Is that senior level even? No, a senior guy would cost twice as that, like 24K. And wow. a senior guy in the US would cost 75K or more than that. In the Silicon Valley, it would be like 100, 125K. And you could get the same quality, if not better than that, for sixth of the price. And so there's a lot of devs, people just switching here. There's a lot of people that I have been meeting, meeting for the past months. They are just learning how to code. And you don't need to go to a, like to do a, like a four-year graduation for that. Look, graduating for engineering, it's great. It's awesome. Don't, don't, don't stop doing it. It's just that you can learn a lot of things um, by yourself and you can see them online and graduation will help that and you will have help you even get a, even a bigger salary. And, but then there's a lot of people doing that because there's a lot of companies hiring Brazilians. And so 
for me now answering your other question so that's the market here we have a lot of guys learning how to code just because it's it's paying a lot <laughs> and they are very good the quality is really good um same level that you would get from an american uh, dev um and the other question is what COVID has changed for me? Like I have been working remotely. Uh, before that, I, I, I tried to open a small office, but like for 10 years, I had like just one customer who went there because when you provide service, you go to the person, the person doesn't go come to you. So, so I said, okay, after 10 years paying for an office space here, even if it's not that much, but the, why I couldn't just work from home, like because nobody goes there. And then, like I have switched in 2018 or 17, I switched work from home. And so for me personally, uh, it hasn't changed much because if you work with web apps and web development and stuff like that, that does not require infrastructure for you to be present, physically present, then it doesn't change a lot. It actually. You have to learn how to work from home. Of course, if you have a dog, if you have children, if you have family, you have to organize your life properly so you're not disturbed and normal issues. But for devs, that worked really well. Because, and sometimes you can work at midnight and even the, the you don't have to have like a fixed schedule. Like you don't have to wait, start at 8 a.m. and then work until 6 p.m. No, you can start at like at 6 p.m. and go work until 2 a.m. Some people, yeah. I know many friends who like that. They, they just like being in a quiet environment early in the morning and right late at night. And they like to work that time and it works. And if you're living in Indonesia, uh, India, and you probably will be working at that time, it would even be early morning in the U.S. and normal business hours in the U.S. So there's this match too. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of benefit to it because of the time differences. If you work with uh, people in India or the Ukraine, they are working when you're sleeping. So your company could be operating 24 hours a day. And mm -hmm. so this in radiology, uh, we had our MRIs read in Australia. So we're sleeping, they're reading our MRIs, we come back in the morning and the MRI report is on the desk. So it, there's benefit to that. One thing that I uh, about four hours difference time frames, but ahead I, or behind? Ahead. Hmm. Um, the um, the the one key thing is communication, and so uh, communication is very free flowing between myself and Thiago. We have WhatsApp, which is uh, something that I adapted because it works well in, in Brazil. International, yeah. And then, you know, we do Zoom meetings. And so uh, Thiago is never late. Thiago is very responsive. And so the communication flows freely. And so that is one thing that is critical because when you you're so far home. away, I can't visit your office. Right. Right. Uh, communication, I would add to that because that's critical. And one of the biggest issues that you find when working remotely is communication. Mm -hmm. So the first thing you should check, if you, if you want to work remotely, you should be very good at communicating with the person that you are working with. Yeah. Because, uh, and sometimes the level of English, the proficiency in English is very problematic. You have someone very good, and I, I was working with someone that was 
Assam in Taiwan, or not, no, it was in uh, Vietnam, but we could not understand what he was saying. Like when he wrote stuff, like on paper, or like on, uh, when he typed the stuff, we could understand. But when we had to do calls like this, it was pretty much impossible to understand anything he was saying. And so there's this problem too. So you have to check what kind of communication level you have with that person and what is okay for you on how you're going to be communicating with him. If it needs to be on a call or if you can just type, typing is, will be much easier for you to get a sense of, of if he can communicate, it's much easier for you to type that you, yeah. So um, that's also very important. That's all just making bragging a little bit about Brazil is that Brazilians tend to have like a very good English education here. So they have English as, not as a second language, but pretty much everybody knows at least a little bit of English, everyone uh, yeah. that is educated I, here, so. I definitely agree with you. I know that's the same with Spanish. Um, Spanish is this, I think the second largest language spoken here in the United States in 2020. I definitely. think, you know, rose above, I think even Chinese. Um, anyway, that I think that communicating is key no matter, you know, what you have, but when you're talking about distance and then you're talking about remote and then also language and time barriers, all of those things can be um, challenges. And even within your own country, I only speak English, honestly. You know, I can speak some Spanish, but it's it's sketchy. I, I'm not gonna lie. So the fact that you, Tiago, can speak, you know, Portuguese, I think you said you speak Spanish and then also English, and you're in really, really good. Oh, five languages. I speak Portuguese, English as a second language, Spanish, Italian, and a little bit of German. Oh, I thought you were gonna say Vietnamese too. No, no, I haven't got that far. <laughs> maybe <laughs> Mandarin and maybe Chinese or Mandarin later on. But, uh, yeah. yeah. So the team that I work with from Berkeley, they speak uh, Vietnamese. Well, they're primarily, um, no, they're all Americans, but they speak Vietnamese as their primary language, Chinese, and then also um, Indian. Uh, they're from Indonesia specifically. So they have varieties of levels of proficiency for sure. But I have noticed that, you know, when they write, you're, you're correct. I agree with you. Their English is so much easier to follow when it's in the written format. It's not, I think, the um, ability to speak it, but sometimes it's the, the, uh, the, either the accent that's coming through or how clear they're able to say the English words, or even if they know how to conjugate the nouns here. I have crazy respect for that because I go, look, I only speak one language. You're already brilliant because you can speak, you know, two more languages. So like that is just <laughs> beyond my comprehension. One thing to help the communication is Grammarly. Mm. You know, I mean, and do even for and Americans spend yeah. a little bit of time because that grew up here. Yeah, yeah. No, but look, speaking is something because you have two levels. Uh, I heard someone say that once, and I think it makes a lot of sense that you have two levels. One is that you try to think uh, in your language and then translate it to the other language. Yes. And then there's the other level when you start just thinking in the other language. Like I'm speaking to you guys here and I'm just thinking in English. I'm not thinking in Portuguese. I'm not translating anything from Portuguese to English. I don't have to. And when once you reach that level, then you can fully communicate, then you're fluent and then things work really well.
<laughs> I agree. Okay. The other thing that you guys said, well, that you have stressed, and I also heard John say is um, time management. Being able to manage your time, because you said always on time, and that is key, because um, being able to, to deliver, especially in, in either game production or software production, it can typically run into overtime. So when you have a developer that can hit those milestones and those uh, deadlines, anybody that hits deadlines is like, they're worth their weight in gold. You don't wanna lose them because they know how to manage their time. They make sure that they're in a production mindset and going, okay, I know that it's due here. So I make sure I have it to the other person, you know, like maybe it's a week before, maybe it's a day before, but there's always going to be a checks and balance, you know, in a production mindset so that you're able to allow for there's errors, there's going to be edits and corrections, and then it's ready to mm -hmm. publish, if you will. I think that you just be respectful of other people's time and maybe consider them as your customer. Oh yeah, so, internally. You're right, yeah. right. I mean, everybody's your customer and then you don't wanna waste their time because they have a certain workflow and you have a certain workflow and it just makes it easy. You also have to mitigate all of that because you realize that things happen. So especially in developing and coding, I mean, you know, there's always problems. So yeah, but you still have a projection of a date in mind so that at least you have a target. If you don't have a target, then it's so soft that nothing gets done. So I think that, I think that projection dates or project management is about setting a target and then understanding that, you know, you're probably not gonna hit that target, but at least you're moving, you're moving forward. Mm -hmm. I agree. In Y Combinator, they say if you can improve your product 10% every week. Yeah, yeah, I do remember that. Yeah, because they gave us a, a little guide and every week we had to give a report as to where we were in the moving the product forward yeah. always. Yeah. So just as like yeah, something that we something that we're doing and regarding that is that we have like one call every Monday and just to talk about what we're going to be doing for the week, what are the goals? And it's like a short call, like 20 minutes. Sometimes it can take longer than that if it devolves into discussions about something, but it's just like a checkpoint. So you're always getting updated about everything that's going on and you can discuss deadlines and goals for the week and then review what has been done, what needs to be improved. And I think that's very helpful for you to keep track of stuff. Yeah. Keeps enthusiasm. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's like dancing, right? You know, you're making sure that everybody that's doing that dance together, whether it's two people or 10 people, you know, we're all on the same page. We understand what we're, what our part is in this dance, if you will, to make sure that we hit that goal. Yeah. And just as long as you're improving, you know, 10% is a nice, nice number. If you improve 10%, in 10 weeks, you're 100% improved, <laughs> in theory. Uh, so when does this product launch, guys? So what we were discussing is that uh, 
we're in a transition inside because there was some guys working and then I'm, I'm switching into working as a dev there, as a CTO. So we're on still on this transition. So we're just fixing some bugs on the on the platform. So hopefully, John, if not wrong, it's January, by the end of January or by the end of February to have like end of January. That's what we were discussing yesterday, right? Mm -hmm. So the Avalon Park Group building should open in February. February 1. And so that's our target date. It would be nice to launch when they launch. That would be. Yeah. So yeah. A lot of businesses in there that could potentially be the clients and everybody would be benefiting. Right. There's a lot of collaboration to be had. So that's really good. I like that goal. <laughs> yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. We were doing some very interesting thing, the calendaring for the business. Once it's implemented, uh, we will just be sending them patients. Very Is that nice. correct? Am I correct in saying that, Thiago? Yeah, yeah. So we just need to fix this bugs. And this is the, the things that are worrying me. And my wife already learned that. I'm married. And sometimes when you set some goals, bugs are very trick stuff. When problems happen, uh, like, if you have, let me share with you just something very quickly. Um, when you're doing like a piece of paper and there's like a mistake there. Oh, I didn't put like a punctuation somewhere. Okay, there's a mistake there. You can fix that. It's totally fine. There's no big deal. Someone will read and say, oh, there's a mistake here. There's a word missing. But on software, it's different game. If, if there's one little thing that is not there and should be there, um, then things start don't, don't work at all. And then you have to revise everything as many times as necessary and you fix it. And sometimes you can fix it very quickly and it's very easy to pinpoint where the problem is. And sometimes it can take and drag and drag and drag and it becomes like a nightmare. <laughs> and so uh, we try to set up goals for bug fixing, but it's very hard because sometimes they, those bugs can be tricky and you think you're going to be solving like in one day or two days or three days then it can take longer. So now we're bringing even more people to help us solve those, those bugs that were bugging us. <laughs> and now we think we can meet that, that, meet that, that line that, we, that John established. I think that what you're doing is you're educating me as to what to expect because we're launching our, with the matching of the algorithm and being able to get you know employers and students all launched and into their profiles and looking at their dashboards. <laughs> you're helping me to know what to expect. That's what I'm right now is that there will be, and I fully expect that because I'm sitting here going, oh, I know there's going to be problems because we have not, we've tested, but, you know, we don't have, you know, tons of people testing that we have people that go, well, this is how it's supposed to work. Right. And so they're already, <laughs> they're not the, the real customers in that sense to me. They already interact with it. They know what it's supposed to be. Yeah, and, and you have to be ready to make change. And uh, one of the things, the good things about being in a, a startup is that you are more agile than a big, large corporation. Yeah. And you can be closer to your customer. You can talk to them. You can see them live, what they are doing, how they are interacting with your product and collect instant feedback from them and then adjust. Uh, Airbnb, they did that. That's one of the motives from Y Combinator is that do things that do not scale. Uh, one thing that people 
not a lot of people know is that when Airbnb started, nobody believed them, including the white combinator guys. And they said, oh, you guys need to understand what's going on with your product. So they disguised themselves as uh, marketing guys, not right. from Airbnb contractors. They went to one apartment guy, a, a landlord, and said, let me take some pictures of your apartment. And while, while they were taking pictures, they were inquiring what was working and what was not working on the platform. And then they start fixing it and in one week they fix it and then they start improving. And I think that's really amazing about startups and that's what we're doing at the thing now. Yeah, the key word is agile. Yeah, the key word and really listening to the customers so that you can make it be exactly what it's, you know, the, the marketplace needs, whatever that marketplace is for people. So what do you guys um, think you're launching in the United States? And are you focused on just right now, uh, Florida? Are you gonna try and launch you know, across the US <laughs> right away? For me, I'm looking at key cities uh, where I can you know, test it out like in San Francisco and in New York and then also here and then looking for um, Oklahoma, honestly. So we're in four different locations and be able to test it. Well, we're looking at Orlando and Orange County in particular. So we have done uh, studies on total addressable markets for different uh, small businesses. And uh, we have influence here. I have strategic partnerships. I have um, a beta site who's waiting with a bated breath. And uh, so we have launching, so we wanna do Orlando, Orange County, and then the I-4 corridor. Uh, from Daytona Beach to St. Pete, mm, and then the rest of Florida, yeah. and then to up and up the East Coast in urban areas where there is a high concentration of, of people. And then also looking when the time comes for early adopters. So early adopters would be in Boston and New York, Philly. Um, big cities where big there's cities. a lot of density. Raleigh, Raleigh's a high tech town. The, the Apex and Raleigh, North Carolina. So looking at those areas. That's good to know. Early adopters. Yeah, definitely good. Nobody was expecting COVID to impact our economy, right? Globally, the way that it has. But what happens if the grid goes down, you know, and we're not online, that could be a possibility five years, 10 years from now. What happens if, you know, obviously they have everything about COVID is under uh, check, something else pops up, but what do you think the economy is gonna be like? And how do you think that's impacting jobs and the expansion of your product? What do you think, John? I don't have uh, that very long-term, but I can see, you know, in maybe five years that, uh, you know, things are more electronically uh, serviced. Certainly, I think that calendaring isn't going to go away. People are still going to operate on, on appointments. And the consumer wants convenience and transparency of cost. So I only see growth there. I agree. And more efficiencies. So, you know, it's kind of green in that, you know, we're not, we're not using paper calendars where we are, uh, you know, maybe more efficient with our driving and going to appointments because you're only going to go to an appointment that you know that you have or that's convenient for your time schedule. 
So there'll be less time spent on the phone calling for appointments. So it'll be more efficient use of the consumer's time. It'll be more efficient use of the of, uh, gas and petroleum to get to the location. Or electric electricity, or, right? Right. So electricity. You may not be so on gas. I think that it's there that it's green in those senses, and I think that it's just going to be um, embraced by the consumer and the small business because it's very efficient for both. Mm -hmm. What about you, Tiago? How about let's let's throw in a plug on the legal aspects. What do you think? I had actually heard this as a statistic. In the United States, there is. Um, for every 10,000 people, there is one attorney for every 10,000 people. So there's supposed to be attorneys in the United States, but in other countries, not as many. So what do you think the forecast is for uh, legal representation? Um, what areas, subject areas of law might be more uh, in demand? But then let's also flip it over on the side of programming. Okay, so my view on this uh, legal stuff is that there's a trend that it was before the COVID pandemic, which is uh, people are not so much willing to go to court anymore. Like uh, formal court, court procedures, they take too long. And this affects uh, especially uh, uh, employment contracts. Right now, most employment contracts, they are not, if you have a problem with your employee or your employer, you don't go to court. They have like this private arbitration courts which is um, more private and it's faster, it's cheaper. So I think this process is changing, this governance, this public governance system is suffering some change. It has been happening before COVID and now it has been accelerating. So I see that there will be a more need for lawyers and legal agents, uh, not so much for the public court, but more for new forms of solving problems. So I think there will be a disruption soon, like in five years, I think that we'll be seeing this more evident, becoming more evident by the day. And so I think if you, if you want to pursue well, a legal career, I think it's a good thing. Uh, I think you can make a lot of money. You already make a lot of money in the US, um, but uh, I think there's many new markets uh, opening for this kind of uh, things um, that were also just for the public court now for private. And now regarding uh, voting, um, the first trend that we have seen and this like people are leaving the Bay Area. Um, so many companies like top companies, Facebook, Netflix, Uber, um, and this is generic, not just for coding, but for a lot of areas, different areas yeah. out there is that people realize that you don't have to have like a thousand workers in just one place. Mm -hmm. You can have them in multiple places and perhaps they can live like in rural Oklahoma or Missouri yeah. and they can code the same as well as someone living in the Bay Area. But the cost for someone living in Missouri is way less than the one living in uh, the Bay Area. Bay Area is very expensive. And so you have seen a lot of outflux from people moving from there and they have even been changing um, the package that they have for employees. They have levels, uh, the salary that you get from all those big startup, uh, big companies is that it depends on where you live. And some people are moving to Florida, they're moving to Texas, North Carolina, and many other places. And they, they have different pace uh, for working remotely. And 
this is a trend that's not going to go away. And I think the last thing that I can add to that is that what I see is that companies are realizing that you don't have to have all people concentrated in one place. They can be living in um, Virgin Samoas or some island in the Pacific and working for you and with the same quality. It can be it's just, and they have better quality of life. And you don't have to commute for one hour. Your employee will be, be living a better life and they have better quality of life. And that's also brings something else. And that's the last thing I want to reach is that I think companies will be more decentralized. It's not just one thing in one place, but also companies will start downsizing in the sense that I don't have to have like 1000 works to do this job because they, they're not here, they're outside. So what's core to my business? I don't have, I believe that we're going to be having more um, connections between companies. So outsourcing of parts that are not essential for the business. So outsourcing, I think there will be like big movement towards outsourcing even more for things that people didn't want to do before. Now they would say, oh, let's just keep the core and everything that's not the core business, let's outsource and just send it somewhere. And I think that's- I agree, I agree. So I'm gonna go and push back on a couple of things. Um, not necessarily in the negative side, I guess add, add additional comments. On the side of legal, um, obviously there's gonna be more um, increases in privacy for sure. People are wanting to protect you know, their, their data that's being shared because I know that anything I have, any electronic devices, I can be speaking, it's always listening in the background, it's gathering information. How I interact with things uh, on the web or on my phone, obviously privacy is a really big, I think it's escalating even more now. The second side of the legal is just like what you were saying is um, where it's impacting HR. So that's my area of specialty. And I think as more and more contractors are being used, um, it's going to reduce the tax liability that companies have. That's a benefit for sure. But there will also be on the side of um, hiring contractors is, you know, how are you protecting your company assets? So asset protection from a legal side, um, making sure that there's a clear division between employee and contractor, but yet it is about maintaining a relationship with each one of those types of um, providers inside of a company. Um, when it comes to the employees, even within the company from an HR standpoint, again, it's how do you onboard, how do you protect your, um, your cloud-based um, services that you're using and, and make sure that, again, uh, information is protected uh, so that it cannot be hacked. So I really see a lot of internal and external protections that are gonna come in from legal. Um, the other side of like just on, on development and when it comes from a, uh, an HR perspective, it's team building. It's really how do you keep your contractors engaged because even though they're not an official employee, how do you keep that um, relationship and establish it and you know, nurture it as you do with your own employees? And what is you know, the real differentiation there? Um, and the way that even uh, when I might provide my employees with specific type of equipment, and then, you know, how do I make sure that anything that they're working on is still protected? Because that five-year-old can come over and mess with that computer 
And that's going to be a problem. And they could have just deleted a database if the employee didn't you know, manage things correctly. Um, so I think that those are the, the scenarios that can pop up, but it can also happen with, you know, contractors just as easily because having worked with a lot of remote talent, um, those are the things that I've experienced. I go, wait a minute, we have Wi-Fi issues when we're working even in the United States, but then when I go outside of the country, there's even more issues. Um, when I am working with people, you know, how, what are the different levels of communication? WhatsApp, you mentioned that. That's really great for international. So yeah, you're gonna weigh in, go. Um, there's one more question that I, I, you have to add to that mix, uh, I would have been willing to say about it, is that there are cultural differences. Yes. Um, for, let me give you one specific case that, that I had with an American uh, coworker, um, is that you guys are much more, um, it's very direct. Your your business relationship. Oh, is you and I talked about that for sure. Yeah, and, and 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 the personal relationship is something different. But for most people outside the U.S., especially from Latino countries, Latin America, Europe, South of Europe, works personal. So I was helping someone, a friend who lives in Arizona, and he was passing through a lot of issues. I brought him back to the company. He had left. I had brought him back. And I was trying to help him rebuild his confidence. And I was doing a lot of work to make him, you know, to be a friend and try to, yeah. And the first meeting that we had, he completely destroyed my work. Like, you were doing everything wrong. This is wrong. This is, I said, come on, man. I'm your friend and you're destroying me. And for you Americans, that's very... Okay. And after the, the meeting, he just called me to talk about personal issues. It's like business is this way and friendship is this way. For us, there's no such thing as friendship this way. It's one thing. So uh, Brazilians and Latinos, they, they deal with that in different ways. And so you have to be careful and even and to address this cultural difference. And if you're, if you're talking to different parts of the world, this will be a big, big challenge because like Japanese Agreed. people, they have a very different way of dealing with stuff. And Chinese, they have a different way. Indians, they have a different way. Brazilians, they have a different way. And if you have like a very mixed uh, team, a diversity. it can be a big problem because you have different people with different cultures and they're still living inside their cultures. It's different that I, I'm a Brazilian, but I have been living in the US for 20 years. I know how Americans work. So yeah. that's, that's one thing. But if I'm a Brazilian living in Brazil all my life, and I start working with an American, that's a different challenge. And it's a big challenge for the employer too, and for the employee. And you have to understand that. So maybe creating a wife somehow on how to address cultural difference could be a big thing for HR in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And those are the learning modules that we're creating for employers with that are a part of Intern Pursuit for the students to be able to understand how do you, how do you interact as a uh, employee or a contractor with different people from different countries. I love diversity very much. I live vicariously through other people that have different backgrounds than myself, but it is how I've learned, you know, oh, this is how they think. And I, you and I were discussing at one time, Tiago, that it seemed like in Spanish speaking countries, Central and South America, every weekend there was some kind of a festival or an event. And I went, how does any work get done? It's like three-day three day weeks that they're actually working three to four days. And 
okay, I've got to build that into my production uh, timeline so that we actually can can launch. Yeah, but I think it's it's also look. I'm working with John. John is the CEO of the company, and I'm the employee. So I, I need to give my best to try to understand his point of view, how understand his culture, speak his language. If I want to be a better employee, if I want to do better at my job, I need to adequate. And and I think that would be like the emergence of like a global standard of what a good employee, doesn't matter where you live or what your background, what a good employee is. It doesn't, look, I can have like, I didn't have like Thanksgiving here. I, I, my family is doing it, but we don't have Thanksgiving, but in the US you have. Then I can have carnival here. It's four days of craziness here. And you guys don't have anything there. Um, and so there's cultural difference. There's like parties and, and holidays and stuff like that here. But look, to whom am I working with or mm -hmm. for? I, I need to adequate myself. I, I cannot make John live here in Brazil or pretend that he lives here and make him, oh, now you have to fit in Brazilian culture. No, look, I'm going to John and I should try to give my best to the company and to my employee. So I can but be a better, a better employer, uh, a better employee can be a better employee. I'm sure John is gonna agree with me because he's very too, but there's a responsibility on both sides. This is a relationship. And so that you're as the employee or if it's an intern or whatever, a contractor, they, they can't just say, oh, it's all about you. Yes, it is. But the other person in that relationship also has to come to the table and go, it is all about you also. So that's where there's a compromise. The key element is communication, communication. right? And then- oh. what talking all the time, then balls don't get dropped, deadlines are not missed, right. you know, people are happy, and that's the thing. We want to have a good experience no matter what. Yes, and if I don't have to go to Carnival, I don't like Carnival anyway, but if I have to <laughs> I'm gonna come with so you. I can deliver, I would have to do that, and yeah. that's my job, you know. I'm going to go to Carnival. We're going to put it <laughs> Oh, that sounds fun. <laughs> Robin, <laughs> Robin has a couple of questions he wants to ask you guys. Wrong, then yeah. uh, so I'm going to let Robin ask the last couple of questions here. Yeah, sure. So um, what would a typical day look like for an intern to work with you in your business? And keep in mind, they have different needs. So Tiago, yeah. go first. I know we talked about that. And John and I were talking about marketing, so he might be picking up on that also. Um, I would go back to the, what, the discussion that we just had. Uh, I, I, the, the way I, I see this is that you don't have to have like a fixed a schedule. Like we're more goal oriented. Like you have this goal, we, we talk about a goal and see, can you deliver at that time? And yeah, so we'll track that. I'll not be checking you. I know some people here, some friends of mine, they have to have a camera on so their employee, uh, their employer can see that they are working. Yeah. I don't like that. I don't think that's very productive. I want, we will judge if you are working based on what you're delivering. So we're going to be talking about what you need to deliver. And if you have issues, we'll be talking, discussing, having more meetings and more calls. And if I need to teach you and help you somehow, I'll give you. Uh, we like people that are more um, 
a, a self-learner, someone that can learn by themselves. And I think that's very important for the new century, the time that we're living on. doesn't matter what, what field you're working with, that you need to learn things by yourself. And that's very important. So if you feel that you're capable of learning things, uh, we're not going to give you everything, but you can go after the answer. So there's a problem, find the answer. Or if there's a problem, you're not asking us the answer all the time, but you're trying to figure out the answer by yourself. I think that's very important because mm -hmm. probably we'll be far apart. We're being long distance calls and it will be far apart. And it's, it's very good that you learn how to do things by yourself. Of course, we will help you and as much as we can, but uh, you should be able to do it by yourself. And so yeah, that's a critical you... thinker, somebody that's there going, okay, what can I do to help? Right. And, you know, exactly. But... Don't ask you for you to be told or ordered to do something. Of right. course, don't, don't do things without permission, but ask the permission, but go after it. See how you can improve it. That's also very important. How about you, John? Yeah, at being a self-starter and looking at your resources. And so human resources, I like to talk to people. And uh, but also you can just query Google and, you know, you'll get a lot of YouTube videos. I mean, Thiago said earlier that he taught himself coding mm -hmm. in large by, uh, by uh, resources online. So uh, there's a lot of resources for you. Mm -hmm. So it's a good thing. Um, so I do have a statement about COVID and working remotely. The New York, the Wall Street Journal published about a month ago, it said since beginning of the COVID, it is, it is estimated Americans working at home spent an extra 22 million hours on their primary job each workday. My brother also works for uh, the federal government. They have millions of employees in the US. And he said that since working remotely, the complaints of employees have dropped about 70%. Well, they're not having to deal with, oh, you're like breathing on me or whatever the issue is, right? right? Like, I don't like They're what not this being micromanaged. Yeah. They can get the coffee when they want to get their coffee. They can pet their dog if they want to pet their dog. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot less friction in the office. Uh, and so it's remarkable. So work, work production is up and complaints are down. It seems like that's the future. Yeah, and it's, uh, it's been told to me, I, I've read this also, where instead of a traditional eight hour office day, when you're working from home, it ends up being 10 hours. People typically put in 10 hours because they're making so. a personal accommodations. Oh, I'm gonna go do this, or I'm gonna go do this, whatever. So uh, Robin has our next question. Yes, um, what was the best mentoring advice you received and who are they currently or were great mentors in your life? Yeah, John, you want to go mentors. first? The best mentoring advice you received. Let me think about that for a minute. Okay, we'll come back to you. John, how about you? I mean, I'm sorry, not John. Tiago, how about you? Um, there's the program here. I think you guys have it there is The Apprentice that Trump used to, to, to be the host there. We have the version here, the national version. And I saw the guy there. It's, it's a very famous guy here in Brazil. And he said something that struck me. 
in something that we we touched before that he was saying this, I want to hire someone that is a good hardware and not someone that is a good software. So I don't want to hire someone that knows a lot, but someone that can handle a lot. Because it's very hard for you to, it's very easy for you to teach someone that is a good person something new than to make someone that knows a lot, but it's not someone that is flexible, that can relearn and do stuff and to teach him something new. So. I think the best advice that I can give to people right now in terms of HR is improve your personal qualities. Yeah, uh, curiosity. You, every, yeah, so learn new things. Learn how to teach yourself new skills uh, by yourself. Improve what you have uh, or your flaws. Everyone has flaws. That's, that's human condition. There's no person that's perfect. So you know what, like you're not very good at delivering in, on time. So start working with that. So try to improve yourself. So this is something that I have taken for myself as a good mentoring, although he's not my direct mentor. Um, but that's a good advice that I got from someone that is a very top employer here in Brazil. I agree. Yeah. So somebody that's always going to be open to feedback and not take a personal realize it's there to help them benefit, but you have to, I'm a very direct person, very direct in my communication. And I like it when people just, just tell it to me straight. What is the problem? I can fix the problem, but if you don't tell it to me, I can't fix it. So that's good. What about you, John? So attitude is uh, something like the hardware of the software. If you have the right attitude, then they can teach you the skill. So the skills can be taught if you have the right attitude, that's the platform. Yeah, I agree. And there are things that I can't teach people. I can't teach them necessarily how to come in and solve problems. I can't teach them. Um, I, I can try to teach attention to detail, but if the person isn't wired that way, it doesn't mean that it's gonna be an easy, an easy flow. So, you know, there could be some resistance to, to that. Or, and one of the things that I'd say to anybody when it's attention to detail, um, it's just slow down. Always make sure that you read things out loud because I tend to scan. So when I take, slow myself down and I read something out loud, I'm absorbing what's being said more readily. And I use myself as the example because I mess up every day in my life. And I go, you're gonna mess up. I already know that because I do. So you know, let's just remember that, you know, we're here to iron sharp, sharpens iron, if you will, um, make each other better. I think that from the, you know, the CEO, as Isabella is the CEO of her company, that if you treat other people as you would like them to treat you. Well, we're at the end of our show. I want to say thank you, John. Thank you, Tiago, for also being here today. This is great. Um, how can people find Fit Me In, John? There's a website, fitmeinnow.com, and you can go to the Google Play Store and the App Store. Okay, so download the app. And are you guys both on LinkedIn if they want to look you up? Yes. Yes, uh, we're both on LinkedIn. There's many homonymous people with the same name that I have, but maybe you can see by my picture that <laughs> who am I? <laughs> uh, is it Tiago de Souza? Is that how they would find you on LinkedIn? Um, yeah, you probably can, but it's Thiago Vinicius de Susan. Okay. Well, I would say look for me because I'm connected with you or look for John. And <laughs> Good idea. <laughs> Good idea. 
Yeah, you've got multiple names in there and we may not spell it all correctly, but thank you for also sharing that. The Intern Whisperer is brought to you by Cat5 Studios who help you create games and videos for your training and marketing needs that are out of this world. Visit Cat5 Studios for more information to learn how Cat5 Studios can help your business. Thank you, Cat5 Studios.